Welcome to Parents at Work, a podcast for people who want to succeed and thrive at work while they have kids. This podcast is sponsored by the Spiegel Law Firm, a firm that empowers people who have been wrongfully fired or afraid that they might be. I am Tom Spiegel. If you would like a copy of my book, You're Pregnant, You're Fired, you can email me at tom at spiegellaw.com. Joining me today is my co-host, Lori Mahalik-Levin, an attorney and founder of the online platform Mindful Return. Lori, I'll turn it over to you to tell us more about Mindful Return and to introduce our guest today. Wonderful, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, Mindful Return is a program that helps new parents transition back to work after parental leave, and it's one that employers use to help retain their new parent top talent. On the podcast, we tend to focus on a particular industry or sector each month and speak to working moms and working dads in that industry. And this month, I'm really delighted that we're focusing on moms and dads in the mental health space. We've already had an opportunity to speak with a working dad who's in the mental health profession. And today, I'm really excited to have two working moms with us uh, who are both in the mental health arena. And I'm really excited to hear their expertise and see what they, you know, bring from their jobs to their parenting as well. Today, we've got Dr. Elizabeth Allen with us. Dr. Allen is an assistant professor of psychology and clinical psychiatry and an assistant attending psychologist. She specializes in treating adolescents and young adults with anxiety disorders and OCD. Lizzie's the mom of two girls, one and three years old, and she lives in New York. We're also joined today by Dr. Amy Danielson, who's an associate professor of psychiatry and OBGYN and director of a women's mental health program that provides support and treatment for pregnant and postpartum women. For almost 20 years, she's had the privilege of working with mothers every day and supporting them through their own transitions to motherhood, just as she herself has three wonderful daughters, ages 7, 10, and 13. She lives with her family, which includes a very supportive partner in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome, Lizzie and Amy. It's really a delight to have you both here today. Thank you for having us. Between the two of you, I think you have five daughters, so that is something. So I'd like to start off asking each of you, and Lizzie, we'll start with you first. If you could tell us, please, your own personal working parent story. Sure. So because of the something unique about the field of psychology is that our education and training trajectory is quite a lengthy one and we're in school for a long time before establishing careers as a fully independent practitioner. So compared to a lot of my friends who were much more set in the institution where they worked in their professional life, I was still climbing my way up this ladder of various one-year placements at the time that I got pregnant with my first. So I was, I became pregnant in my fellowship year, which is the last year of training to become a clinical psychologist. And what was, I think, sort of interesting or and tough about that is that there was, for me, still a lot of anxiety about, you know, where would I be landing next, where getting that first real job after a series of different training placements. Also, a lot of guilt about being in a, a one to two year placement and taking a significant chunk of that time off for a maternity leave, meaning I would be leaving my team and site where I was working down as staff member. And also there were some, you know, just practical realities of being sort of in your first year of employment, often the benefits that are available to longer term employees aren't available to you when it comes to maternity leave. So those were 
a lot of the challenges that I remember coming up against um, in my first pregnancy, just in addition to just everything, just the massive responsibility of becoming a mother for the first time. On the other hand, I had such incredible support from mentors and other professionals and supervisors who were somewhat ahead of me at the institution where I worked and just leaned on that so much over the course of my first pregnancy and then the the process of coming back to work after that. And I just felt so grateful and that made the experience so much easier for me. And now I was fortunate to be hired on as faculty in the hospital where I was a fellow and still come up against all kinds of tensions around the work and life. Um, And I work four days a week and have one day or Fridays off to usually be with my kiddos. And even though on paper that balance sounds right to me, I'm often feeling, you know, torn or pulled away from one venue, thinking about my kids at work or vice versa, and just constantly trying to negotiate that balance. And I guess the last thing I'll say before I hand it over to Amy is, you know, I'm aware that this is a really lucky problem to have, to be, you know, fortunate to have, to be employed in a job that I love and have children that I love and can take care of. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, just to acknowledge how what a lucky problem this is to have. But with that said, it certainly still you know, comes with a lot of challenges. Mm. Thank you, Lizzie. Yeah, there's so much in that resonates and that we've definitely heard from folks on other podcasts around how important it is to have supportive communities at your office as you're going through the stage. And I think it's really interesting to look at that intersection of, you know, where in a woman's career she is when she is having children. I know for folks in the medical profession, and you just mentioned for you is, you know, training, you know, in the legal profession, often parenthood is butting right up against that time when people are trying to make partner and are expected to Mm -hmm. perhaps build more hours than they ever have in their entire lives. And, you know, why is it that that particular moment intersects? And perhaps it was because the system wasn't built around (laughs) women are having children, but just an interesting thing to reflect on. And yes, even being lucky, there is that, and maybe having a day of the week that is, you know, dedicated to children and work, of course, are all interwoven and they don't fit neatly into the boxes of four days and three days or something. Yes. So thank you for those reflections. Amy, turning over to you, can you tell us a little bit about your own personal working parent story? Absolutely. I would be happy to. If you, you could see my head, Lizzie, the whole time you were talking, I was nodding about kind of all of the points, all of the thoughts, having had a similar kind of training, you know, professional development training journey. It I was just resonating even more. It was all resonating even more. My journey in parenthood started a couple years out after I had finished my training. So I'm a clinical psychologist and I completed an internship and a postdoctoral fellowship. And my first job outside of graduate school was as a part-time faculty member, adjunct faculty member in Chicago to a hospital, an academic institution in Chicago, and in a private practice. And I would say the vast majority of my time was in building my first business in private practice. And I should mention, because it's so inextricably linked to my experience as a working mother, is that my chosen field is actually working with mothers. And so I work really pretty specifically with women who are pregnant and postpartum surrounding that transition to motherhood and had been doing that work prior to becoming a mother myself. So I felt very privileged and really informed actually. And I felt ready um, because I was working beside women, supporting them and treating them as they were encountering lots of different 
uh, challenges that they may have encountered trying to become a parent. And many of those challenges involved navigating things that came up related to their working identity. And that was all happening before I had my first child. So that was the practice that I was working in in Chicago. And I'd been in practice for about a year and a half, two years, building that practice before I got pregnant. And when I had, we had our first daughter, she's now 13. We encountered kind of an unexpected turn. And again, this is, begins you know, was something that we didn't expect where she was born with a pretty serious and significant health condition that was, that required care from a specialist that lived in New York City. And at the time we were living in Chicago. And so about four or five months after she was born, we were faced with a decision of how to manage that. And the decision ultimately involved shuttering, closing down my practice and kind of pretty quickly relocating our family back to the East Coast so that we could be closer to where she was going to be getting medical care, which was in, at a hospital in New York City. And we had, I had family, I grew up in the Washington DC area. And so that was ultimately how we moved back to DC now about 12 and a half years ago. And that was sort of the beginning in many ways of what I think has been the biggest lesson and I think challenge in being a working parent is the flexibility, the creativity, and then, you know, occasionally the sort of surrender that is required as a parent that involves your work really having to take a backseat and maybe even your professional aspirations having to take a backseat to what needs to be done for the family. And so that was sort of the beginning of our parenting journey. And since then we have, so when I moved back to DC, I had some time off actually where we were catching our breath and getting her hooked into her treatment. And that was really, I would say, my job for that period of time. That was about a year where I was full-time mommy taking care of her and getting her situated. And we were doing a lot of going back and forth from DC to New York. And during that time, I began kind of putting feelers out looking for a job in DC. And I was really fortunate and ended up finding a position at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital, where I've been working for the last 12 years. And that position was to uh, start a very small program. They didn't have women's reproductive mental health there, but they were willing to start a small program there. And so that was where I started. And the position that I negotiated was part-time, in part because of the demands of her, my daughter's health care and going back and forth to New York City. So I started two and a half days a week and essentially saw that job as an incredible opportunity because it was in my chosen field at an institution that seemed like there was a lot of room for growth. But essentially, I saw that job at that time as a way to keep one foot on the professional ladder while essentially my focus was on my family life. And then I would say to kind of sort of fast forward, that sort of balance of kind of trying to keep myself you know, on the professional ladder, and I would say sort of hanging on to rungs and climbing very, very slowly, while focusing on family life. Over the next, you know, I would say five years, we had two more daughters during that time. And my first daughter's health issues were successfully treated and largely resolved and kind of moved into the background of our family life. And as that happened, our, my ability, I would say, my bandwidth to focus on my professional aspirations increased. 
And so, but that that kind of balance, it's almost like I always think of it as sort of, you know, driving in a car with a stick shift, that it's like the sort of easing off the gas, easing on the clutch and going back and forth, that that has, that rhythm has been constantly changing over the last 13 years of working parenthood for me. And I would say, so currently I'm still at Georgetown. My hours now are probably closer to, I would say, more like 70 to 80% time. And that over the last five years, as my kids are now in school, I don't have little ones at home and we're not relying on childcare, daycare, really at all, that there are a lot of other factors that sort of govern how much I work and how, like sort of what my schedule looks like, including actually, I would say my husband's work-life balance in the demands of his schedule as well. So all of those factors play in and the job that I have at Georgetown, I'm incredibly privileged that I'm able to sort of open and close the spigot in some ways based on kind of what are some of the family needs at home. And that has really always been the case. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing your journey with us, Amy. It sounded like you were in a relatively unique position to, you said you felt ready when you had your first child. And I still imagine that it may be impossible to be ready for all of the events that unfolded afterwards, right? I mean, talk about a huge personal and professional identity shift. And thank you for sharing all of that with us. Um, I could also really resonate with your statement that the bandwidth to focus on your professional aspirations shifted. I feel like that happens for me, you know, every couple of months, whether my boys are now about to turn seven and nine. And generally speaking, I have so much more bandwidth now than when they were little to really focus on professional issues. But then from time to time, issues come up that, you know, completely take over home life that cause you to have to dial the other thing back. So I think it's a wonderful thing to remind our listeners that, you know, the amount that you're able to focus on one or the other truly does shift over time and it's not linear. Absolutely. I sort of think of it as seasons and sometimes they literally are seasons. Like, I don't know if you relate to it, the summertime when kids are not in school and there's lots more moving parts and changes to the schedule, that it becomes very, very difficult for me as a working parent to really feel like I'm there at work in the summer hours. But then when everyone's back to school, it sort of feels like a restart for me too. Yes, we just spent the past couple of weeks uh, fighting to put, to put together the jigsaw puzzle that is summer camp so that our children have places to go and, you know, having all the camp systems crash and having to, you know, log on at certain times just to get them there for the summer. So camp is top of mind for me at the moment. It was highly frustrating. But Amy, I want to stick with you just for a moment and then we'll go back to Lizzie. If you can zoom out to your profession and think about, you know, others who are in the mental health space, what would you say it's like to be a working mom in the mental health field these days? I mean, I personally feel that the mental health field is a really sort of a really good option, a good environment for working women, in part because there are a lot of options in terms of how you work and how you practice. And I think a lot of those options, I mean, there's no perfect option to be perfectly honest, but that there are options like, for example, private practice, where you are then starting your own business, where you may be setting your own hours, you may be setting your own schedule, something that works best for family life, or perhaps it works best for the juggle that you do with your partner in terms of covering and managing family life. You can dial it up or down. Having said that, when I was in private practice, I had no paid leave. So the time that I took for maternity leave was essentially time I was not seeing patients and was not making money. And so that was something that was definitely a challenge at that time. You know, 
that whereas, you know, now I work in a hospital environment, I still have a lot of flexibility, but I would say that that flexibility still comes at a cost. In other words, like when I dial it up, I'm dialing up my income and I'm dialing up, you know, opportunity. But when I'm dialing it down, I'm definitely making sacrifices to be able Mm. to do that dial down. But I do feel as though there's flexibility. And I would say there's also then working at an agency, community mental health agency or a hospital environment that there's more likely to have benefits like maternity leave or family leave that is, you know, that may be sort of baked in to the benefit package you have in an environment like that. I would say that one of the things that I really like about the field and the space is that no matter where you work, you know, many therapists are women and many therapists are other working mothers. So to be able to be surrounded by other professionals who are managing the same kind of complex and challenging, constantly changing balance um, is really helpful. Um, mm. I, I sort of feel like it's a tribe of other therapists, other working therapists, and whether they're in practice or they're my colleagues at, at the hospital, it, having that tribe of people that get it has been, I mean, really, truly kind of profound and impactful, particularly at some of the more difficult times in life as a working mom. Yeah, I could definitely see how that community would be really helpful. The vast majority of working of law firm partners are not working moms. <laughs> so I would note a, a definite contrast there. Lizzie, back to you. If you're zooming out and thinking of the mental health field, how would you describe what it's like to be a working mom in the mental health space? Yeah. So I, can I just say I resonated so much with what Amy was saying, that like image of sort of clinging on to that professional ladder during years when family life is really at the forefront and even without of the major stressors that Amy you described and I'm so glad that those are are resolved for the most part for your daughter I I just connect so much to that that experience of like just trying to hang on to a point when maybe things are a little bit easier to devote more of yourself to work but regarding the question of this being a working mom in this profession, I, I agree that working with so many other women is a real thing. I, that's something that I really enjoy because, you know, so many of us were where I work and I think in the field of psychiatry and mental health in general are women. Then you have a, a lot of people around you who have been through it or are really understand. Also, you know, because it's the field of mental health, generally folks are pretty savvy and sensitive to issues of wellness. And that is something I experience on a day to day. So I think those are, in addition to the flexibility, those are all or the ways that you can sort of reinvent yourself potentially throughout your career in the realms of a hospital role or a private practice role are all nice pluses. I think so because I'm, um, and Amy is too, we're at academic medical centers. Something uh, that I think about a lot is the trajectory for promotion through the ranks of assistant professor, associate professor, and full professor. If you, I'm in a clinical role, which means I'm not in an upper out kind of position where I need to produce research or academic work in order to keep my job, but that is still the requirement and expectation for those major rank promotions. And a lot of that would have to, because my job is primarily one that has to do with clinical work and program development and supervision, a lot of that more academic work and research is something that would have to happen kind of on my own time or 
after sort of my daytime work hours, really. And even though, you know, I find there are opportunities that are just hanging in front of me and thrown at me all the time, I do notice myself kind of leaning away from those right now because my time is not my own and I have a real reluctance to commit to getting something done when I don't know how much, you know, when the kids are going to really truly go to sleep on a given night or how much time I am going to be able to steal away on the, in the evening or on a weekend to be able to push forward some paper or some project. So that is something I think about a lot, I guess, as far as sort of promotion. But as far as day to day, I think it's a really lovely profession to be a parent in. Yeah, what you are just, can you remind me, Lizzie, how old your children are? They're one and three. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you're talking, I'm like having flashbacks to when my kids (laughs) were little. And so my youngest is now seven. And I think that you know, that when I look back when my kids were little and that, that keeping my, I'm also on a clinician educator track. And so Mm -hmm. the flexibility that I have is the percent time I work is connected to essentially the income that I work. And I remember keeping myself at a really low level for many years where I set a really low target for myself precisely because of what you were saying. I was really kind of fearful about committing to something that I then couldn't deliver because of all the practical realities of having small children. And some of that might mean the ability, like you said, the ability to work late after the kids go to bed or the ability to get work done on the weekends, or even the ability to see a project through during cold and flu season. When I knew if a child couldn't, you know, there were just days or even weeks where I might need to be at home. And so that feeling of really wanting in many ways, you know, again, kind of holding on to that foot on the ladder, seeing another rung on the ladder, seeing an opportunity that might allow me to move up the ladder or just even really engage in a project that I'm really interested in, but passing when my kids were little in part because I just felt I couldn't be sure that I could see it through. And that's tough. I mean, I think that that's across all professions. That's not just mental health, that's across all profession. But I think that that was one of the hardest parts about making the balance work when, especially when you have little kids. Mm, Yeah, I definitely hear that a lot from the folks who take mindful return. And what I try to instill is this abundance mindset of, yes, you might not have this exact opportunity that may not come around again. And in a few years, there will be other things in front of you that are also enticing and that you'll want to grab onto. But speaking of cold and flu season, I totally intended but think I forgot got to say up front that we're very grateful to Lizzie for joining us despite the cold germs having attacked her in her household. So we're um, (laughs) delighted to have her join us regardless of whatever's going on with her voice today. So thank you for that, Lizzie. (laughs) But now I want to turn it over to Tom for his next question. Thanks so much, Lori, Amy, Lizzie, for those great insights. You know, one thing before I want to focus in on is driving a stick shift. You know, I hadn't heard, you know, probably many of our listeners don't even know what a stick shift is. It brought back good memories of actually having a stick shift car. So thanks for it. Thanks for that one, Amy. We can talk about record players next. And It really, shows my age, totally. Oh, you're right. No, it's, I got in the car the other day and somebody's driving a stick shift. And I'm like, can you even still buy these? This is awesome. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you know, and one thing that this great conversation reminded me is, as a new father, how, I mean, my wife, just as a matter of biology, as everybody here had the same experience, you know, actually having to have the child and 
be home, you know, to maternity leave, was confronted early on with this need to balance. Whereas even though I was very active with our kids when we were young and, and wanted to be and was very involved as a father, my identity, and I didn't realize this until years into having children, how my identity as a profession and a father were, I kept them separate. And it wasn't until I read a book, and I wish I could remember the name of it, where it was written by another father. And he talked about, you know, fatherhood as a professional identity as well. And I realized that I wasn't doing that, that, you know, I viewed, you know, I did my work and then I came home and I did my father thing and they were separate. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting that as that women in particular don't, I don't know, I'd call it a luxury, have that because you're confronted so, you know, right from the very beginning with that just requirement that you have to balance it. So it's interesting to hear those stories. All right, Lizzie, let me start with you and ask you what supports you found particularly helpful when you became a working parent? Mainly it was the people that I worked with. I had some really close mentors who became, you know, they were clinical supervisors who became really personal mentors through this transition into working parenthood from, you know, everything from just practically like how to be really efficient when it comes to things like pumping or figuring out childcare or daycare to more just emotionally, like the people who really were mindful to check in with me when I came back to work for the first time and sort of had lived experience with, with what that's like to separate from your newborn after a couple of months and that I'm just so grateful for. And I also just totally by luck happened to be taking more for the purposes of research at the time, a mindfulness course that a a research mentor of mine gave me a spot in at towards the end of my pregnancy. And so that was my first time really learning and practicing mindfulness on a regular basis. And that is something I carried into my maternity leave and can fall back on now. So that was definitely a piece of my personal wellness when I became parent. And other than that, you know, just my, I think in addition to, you know, work colleagues that having a friend group and kind of us, we have an ongoing text chain where at any hour of the night, probably somebody is up and able to respond to practical questions. Just feeling connected to other people going through it or ideally a little bit ahead of you. That's more than anything else what really I still rely on the most. Is this a formal group that you're in or sort of an informal? This is an informal group of mainly my college friends and I've got another, you know, couple um, friends on a, you know, from other areas of my life, but just informally folks that I check in with. And it's also fun to then be on the advice giving side of things and taking stock of what you have come through and what you are able to share some knowledge on. So I think, you know, both being able to ask and being able to give some pointers is, has been really nice for me. Got it. Well, let me ask you the flip side then. Were there supports that you did not have as you were becoming a working parent that you think would be particularly useful for people who are coming up behind you in your profession? I think there are a lot of things that, you know, we can be doing better as a, really as a country to be supporting working parents. There was really a lot in place at my workplace as far as just a culture that was very, very supportive around this. But 
I sure would have loved to have daycare available on campus where I work. That would have been just made my life tremendously easier or like, you know, because my schedule is really, I'm scheduled quite back to back to back all day long in various meetings or with patients having a, a bit more of a formal structure around, I was nursing. And so be, figuring out how to pump during the day was just such a practical headache. And I know that there are some things that some places are doing around that. So those are, those are some things just on a practical front, but I, I really do feel like just the climate of a place is the thing that's most important. And thankfully that was really, that was really there for me. Yeah. I know we hear that those sorts of things a lot on the show and, and for the people that are lucky enough to live in a state or, for example, the district that have paid family leave, that's one of the first things that they mention. So I do think that's, you mentioned as a nation, things we could do better. I think that is, um, that, that's certainly high on the list. All right, Amy, I will turn the same questions over to you and ask you, workplace support, did you find particularly helpful as you became a working parent? Thank you. Yes, some of the exact same things that Lizzie was talking about. I mean, I would sort of say across the board, just other working mothers. And some of those were my friends. Some of those were women I met in a new mom support group that I participated in when I had my first daughter in Chicago before we left Chicago. Some of those were my mentors, my professional mentors, my boss at the time that could, you know, provide, I mean, in many ways, it was sort of people that were, I would say, kind of one, maybe even one step ahead of me, like they had had their baby a year or two ahead of me and could kind of, it was so recent that they could, they were loaded with rich practical advice, as well as a perspective, just being a little bit out of that kind of new motherhood, new baby transition was incredibly beneficial. And I would also add to that, my patients, you know, I found both in Chicago and in DC, and I still do, that I am listening to them and I'm learning from them. And I'm observing the learning that they do in terms of shortcuts and how they make it work. I remember the first time one of my patients was talking about these sterilization bags for pump parts. And I literally, right after the session ended, I wrote it down to remind myself because I hadn't heard of them. And I learned that this was, you know, 10 years ago. I remember learning that from her. I think, I mean, it's other working mothers, which to be honest, when my first daughter was born, it was really hard to find those women because they were often spread so thin and trying to manage their own work-life balance. So a lot of times it was hard to, those weren't women that were at, you know, mom groups, or even if I went to, you know, a music class with my daughter on the weekends or on an afternoon, those often weren't the moms in those classes. So they were hard to find, but being able to build a support system of other mothers who work and who face every day some of these issues that we're talking about has been tremendously helpful. And I should also say this isn't really a workplace support, but it's probably been the biggest support has been my husband, my partner, who has been able to flex as my, you know, when I'm, when my bandwidth is sort of fuller with things that are happening professionally, him being able to step into that space at home has been like profoundly impactful from the standpoint of support. In terms of things that were built into the workplace, I would say there wasn't a lot, to be honest, but it felt in some ways when I went back to work, 
you know, in my academic environment that there wasn't a lot built in. It felt in some ways like I was almost the first woman who'd ever tried to go back to work and continue to breastfeed in this environment. And I know that I wasn't, but it really felt that way. And so now I think there have been, you know, in the last 10 years, there's been some really positive changes made in the kind of institution, academic institutional environment where it's, there are supports, whether or not it, it involves designated pumping spaces for people that have shared office spaces. Even, you know, I remember the first time that sort of in our departmental refrigerator, there was a shelf sort of carved out for pumped milk that it never would have even occurred to me that I could have put my pumped milk in our shared department refrigerator when I was pumping after my daughter, who's now 10, was born. Um, and so there have been changes to the culture that I think reflect in many ways changes in our society that have been positive, but there's still really, I would agree with Lizzie, there's like a long way to go. And this question is for, for both of you, since both of you have mentioned, you know, support groups that, you know, particularly informal ones, do either of your workplaces have a, a program, you know, similar to the one that Lori has with Mindful Return, where it's a, there's a more structured online program for new parents or no? To my knowledge, we have nothing like that. And it's funny, I would so love to be part of a more formal forum around these kinds of issues, because there are so many people with a lot of wisdom, but we are all, you know, scurrying through our days, just trying to, you know, meet our professional demands of our day and then get back to our kiddos, but it would be so nice to sit down with other colleagues to just talk about what's tough about this and maybe share some pointers. I do it a lot because I am now faculty at the same place where I did my fellowship. Anytime there is a trainee or a fellow who is going through, is pregnant or going to becoming a mom during her fellowship, I'm usually the first one that they'll come to talk about, you know, what to expect and how it's going to go. And so I really love being able to be in a position to provide support to others around it. And like whether it was an online platform, or I think even better, something um, where we could all sit down face to face from time to time, I think would be um, so wonderful. How about you, Amy? Anything on your end like that? Yeah, I mean, there's a women in medicine group, which I think is provides a forum for women to be able to learn from other women. There's a speaker series there and some of the issues that we're talking about come up there. And so there is, which I think is wonderful and super important. And it's a valued group in our institution. I like Lizzie would something at our department level, I've frequently thought about it because to be honest, I think if there was someone to start it, it would probably be myself or someone else in the women's mental health program because we've sort of become the kind of unofficial go-to place for all new parents in our department, whether it's an expectant father coming in and saying, you know, do you have any tips or pointers? What are your favorite books? You know, what was it like when you came back to work after your leave that because this is sort of content area we work in also, we've become that. And I think that that I relish that, to be honest. Fact, when you were talking, Tom, earlier about the separation of your fatherhood and work identity, that's something that I was struck by recently. There was a colleague of mine at work, it was this past year, who I was in the kitchen and he came in and one of his close colleagues said, hey, how's it going at home? And he was talking about, he had just had a baby and I had no idea. I had no idea that he was expecting his first child and he's a close colleague at work and it's, he was an understated guy, but because he didn't, wasn't walking around the office with a belly, 
that it was like his transition to fatherhood sort of went almost unnoticed in a way that all of the women in our department, when they're expecting, there's a celebration alongside them, a tracking alongside them that I think is really helps with that integration of the motherhood identity into the work identity that is really you know, I mean, that there are hard things about that as well. But I think that that's one of the hard things I think about for fathers is that this it really can be quite separate. And so some of what we what we try to do is, you know, celebrate the children that are basically born into the department. And I think some of that has to do with the fact that we are mental health providers, and that because we have this strong, thriving women's mental health program in the department, there's a value about recognizing and celebrating that transition that permeates the entire kind of departmental culture, which is really quite lovely. Yeah, that's fascinating. That had not even occurred to me until you just mentioned that there is not that built-in ritual for men or for parents who are adopting. You know, there's not that physical reminder. And those things are important, those rituals that we have and those ceremonies that we have. And yeah, it just did not occur to me that, you know, as I was becoming a new father, I mean, obviously there were people that knew, but there wasn't like a debarkation, like the, you know, baby's here, you know, or it's on its way. And I think that's a you know, it's an important recognition, you know, and I do have one follow-up question for you, Amy, but before we get to that, Lori, I'd love for you to jump in because obviously this is your bailiwick, not only with your own online program, but I know you've been involved with other groups where workplaces have started a parent group. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure, Tom. Thank you. So I am sort of a serial founder of working parent groups at offices, um, having been really inspired to connect people to one another so that we can have those conversations both at my prior employer and at my law firm where I work now. Because I've encountered so many people, a lot of the alums of the Mindful Return program go on to then found working parent groups at their organization because they want to continue these types of conversations because I wanted to you know, connect the leaders of working parent groups. I started a Google group email list um, called the Working Parent Group Network that, you know, Lizzie or Amy, if you are ever inspired to start one of these groups or have a colleague who is inspired to start one of these groups at your respective employers, be more than welcome to join. There's a website where you can sign up on mindfulreturn.com forward slash WPGN, which stands for Working Parent Group Network. And really, we're an email list where we've all you know, been sharing ideas about how to get these groups off the ground and the programming and funding and all that sort of stuff for affinity groups and employee resource groups that are focused on parents. And we've had a couple of calls over the past couple of months where we featured different companies and organizations that have started these groups to be able to share wisdom around how to get them off the ground and cross-pollinate ideas. So I'd invite all of our listeners and you, Amy and Lizzie, to consider joining that group as well. Thanks, Tom. Back to you. Yeah, no, that's great. Important stuff. Um, Amy, just the final follow-up question for you, and I know you've addressed some of this. What do you think would be particularly helpful in your workplace for people that are coming up behind you as new working parents? Exactly what Lori was just describing, (laughs) Um, if I'm honest. I mean, I think it's funny because that I have referred many patients and colleagues to both Lori's website, Mindful Return, the groups on the website, as well as, as well as her book. And so I'm not plugging that, Lori, as much as I'm saying, but I, I send them your way all the time. I think I've told you that before, because there isn't a lot out there like that. And I also just think that um, working parents, both working mothers and working fathers, 
are very busy trying to make the donuts and keep the balance um, going and be successful at work and be successful at home. And so it's very hard to basically get to other working parents to be able to have these meaningful connections and conversations. So when groups like this come together, to me, it, they're just, they can be really instrumental. One of the things that would that I've thought about myself sort of professionally that I feel like would be useful is almost, you no, know, this might exist in DC and I just missed it or in Northern Virginia where I live and I've just missed it, but it's almost like a guide for working mothers that has to do with guidance on daycare and preschool and family leave as it relates to some of the local laws and regulations. And that I just feel like that other mothers are incredibly, incredible resources, but it does feel, and I hear this a lot where women are feeling like they're almost reinventing the wheel. And actually some of the women that come and see me for mental health care, some of what they're getting is an exchange of information. I'll share with them different things that I know about in the areas that they live. And that's not why they're there. That's not a part of the therapy, but I feel like if it can be useful for them to pass along some of these resources, I will. And so that kind of information, whether or not it's a website or that would be just a gift, particularly for working mothers. And I feel like Women whose primary focus, their jobs, are working outside the home, being at home with their children, that I feel like one of the things that they do really well is sort of organize and network and collect resources and exchange those in a way where I have a couple of friends who are full-time mommies, and they are my like, go-to resources for everything in my community. They, they know everything. And they're my resources. If I didn't have them, I, didn't, I don't know what I would do. So that it's, I mean, it maybe is a pipe dream. It's actually something I've sort of thought about, you know, wanting to develop, you know, sort of professionally, but something like that would be tremendously helpful. I think that's a fantastic idea. So maybe something's being started here. So in any event, all right, well, thank you for that. And Lori, I will turn it back over to you. Yeah, I was sitting here nodding along with the fact around that wheels are being recreated every single day mm-hmm. in this space, definitely. And the other thing that I was, I had my microphone on mute, but was literally laughing out loud about was when you said about making the donuts, it made me think, okay, so stick shifts and yeah. the uh, time to make the donuts is something that my husband wakes up and says regularly. So we are children of the 80s in our house. Yes, we are. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, so my next question, and Lizzie, I'm going to turn to you first, is... What changes do you see happening in the mental health profession more broadly that you think are affecting working parents, even if they're not specifically targeted at working parents? So that's interesting. I think in general, we are moving towards more accommodations and supports around maternity leave and family leave. And I don't think that's specific to the world of of mental health, but that I am, you know, hoping will have positive effects on coping through this transition. Also, you know, something very interesting is the way that technology is kind of infusing how we conduct therapy. And I think Mm -hmm. within the next five years, we're going to see a lot more in the way of app-based supports for I do a lot of exposure therapy, which means like real world practice facing fears and learning new behaviors and I ways of communicate like with ways for patients to communicate with therapists about how they're progressing with the skills that they're learning through a week and 
I wonder if that may, you know, lead to an increase in flexibility, which is going to be helpful for people who also have significant responsibilities at home or outside of the workplace, including working parents. So off the top of my head, those are two thoughts that came to mind. I'd be really curious what Amy thinks on that. Yeah, Amy, over to you. I guess I'd also note that in our podcast episode with a working dad on the subject, his first thoughts were really around that technology piece too, and sort of seeing some of the pros and cons of being able to work more remotely as a therapist. But Amy, on to you. Yeah, I would totally, I would definitely agree with that. And I'd extend that to say that it seems as though flexible work options that would include telework, but also um, flexing your schedule, being able to choose your schedule, being able to, that I'm seeing more and more, you know, I work in Washington, D.C., so federal government, I have a lot of folks that I work with that work for the federal government that, you know, being offered flexible work options, give them the ability to basically have a better balance and feel less squeezed as a working parent. And I think that the sort of role of fathers is having a really significant, like the kind of shifting in some ways role of fathers in our current generation from the prior generation where so many partners, fathers are the level of engagement and kind of parental and family responsibility is growing and shifting and increasing. And with that, I also think that that is that we're talking then about whether or not it's like flexible work schedules in the workplace is not, it's not just something that women need. It's something that all parents need. And the more apparent that is, the more support recognition that, you know, for example, that having a hard stop to your work day, work day at 5 p.m. because your daycare closes at 6 p.m. and you have an hour commute to get there or your daycare closes at 5.30 or what have you that the more that is a challenge and a hard stop for mom and dad, that to me, that is happening more and more. And that that alongside that, there seems to be some positive shifts and just working culture for all parents in that regard. Whereas even doing this work with women 15 and 20 years ago, there were professional women who would feel kind of reluctant to even, you know, maybe in a new work environment, tell people that they were a mother for fear that they would sort of be kind of quote, mommy tracked, or that all of a sudden expectations for them would be less. And that seems to be shifting. And I'm not exactly sure why that is, but I definitely feel as though, you know, dads in our current generation, it just, things are different. Mm. If I could just add, there is, I'm also noticing more parity as far as benefits for men and women Mm -hmm. around leave. And I think the more that men are taking advantage of that, the more comfortable it feels for women to take advantage of that too. So not just, you know, for primarily for fathers to have that opportunity also. I just think it, it conduces towards everybody being able to feel comfortable putting family first when, when that's what's necessary or that's what you want to do. You know, Lizzie, you are totally speaking my language here. I think really the only way to destigmatize taking maternity leave, taking parental leave is to make it degendered, you know, mm-hmm. gender neutral and no primary caregiver distinction because that distinction sort of doesn't hold up in a lot of modern couples anyway. But to the extent we can degender flexibility and flexible options and degender parental leave, I think that's where we're going to make the most progress in working toward that 
playing field that's much more equal. You know, there's definitely mommy tracking still going on in mm-hmm. many of professions, but I agree that we're seeing shifts in ways that, I mean, I'm really excited to say that the reason that Mindful Return created a course for dads a couple of years ago was because the employers were demanding it. They were saying, look, I can't offer a parental leave benefit only to my moms. And I said, of course you can't. Let's correct that problem and you know, make sure that there's a support system there for dads as well. So I love to see that shift. Back to you, Tom, for our uh, final questions of the podcast. You know, absolutely. And on that note about fathers, you know, being playing they're taking leave and they're being more parity. I do, you know, I do think we are seeing more of that. That is certain, but there was, you know, some interesting and troubling research. It's a bit dated now. It's probably at least five, maybe closer to 10 years old that while fathers did not experience the same penalty that mothers did, you know, I mean, the motherhood penalty that, you know, when a woman, been a lot of research done that, you know, if there was a woman who applies for a job, you know, they've done these blind tests, and there's some indicia that she's a mother on her resume, they're much less likely to get the position. It's not true for men, for whatever reason, maybe because, you know, employers like the, you know, the alpha male who has kids and the kid, you know, picture of the kids on the desk, whatever. But that when men took leave or did something at work that indicated that the man was, you know, putting family above work, that they were punished more harshly than men in other situations by, you know, and most employers are good actors and doing the right thing, but not all of them. And for that reason, we've seen, you know, over the number that this may be changing somewhat, although there was some research that was even true for millennial men, that when these benefits were offered, they did not feel like at liberty to take them because they felt like they'd be you know, that they would be seen as not, you know, not committed to work. Hopefully those, that tide is changing a bit, but that still is a phenomenon that's out there. Okay, let me ask you, I'll start with you, Lizzie. What is your number one piece of parenting advice that you would, you would give your younger self or someone coming up behind you? I probably need some more time to figure out my number one piece of parenting <laughs> advice. You know, really like, the, I think the practical things around, you know, exhaustion and sleep deprivation is a very real thing for new moms and figuring out your approach to sleep. You know, I'd be reluctant to recommend any particular resource because I think it's really personal how parents want to approach it, but locking in on the strategy around that, um, you know, your technology around pumping, whatever works for you. Those are, I think it really is sort of to each his or her own, but, um, those are the main practical pieces of advice. Um, and I just also, well, I'm piggybacking off of what Amy said before I have acknowledged the support that I got for from my husband and also, you know, parents and, and other family leaning on, on people in your personal life. And I'm not just saying that because my husband may listen to this podcast. <laughs> and I don't want to get in trouble. But, um, you know, we made some very real decisions based on supporting me being a working mother, you know, coming down to where we lived and making sure that I had a very manageable commute. And so I do just want to, even though he was really driving hard um, and a very demanding, in a very demanding job did, you know, take, I think, a really significant chunk of time off, which was super meaningful in our childcare picture for the first year of both of my girls lives, enabling us to keep them home for the most part during their first year, even though we both worked a good chunk of that time. So I'm just, that's a bit going back to what you, we were talking about before. And then, yeah, best advice is really to just lock in with 
people who've been there, people who can support you. But yeah, now I really am Googling mindful return and we'll, we'll possibly <laughs> probably be passing that along to others as well because that's really intriguing. Yeah, and I think, you know, the point about sleep deprivation, I guess maybe for new parents, what I would tell my, my younger self is just, it's a thing, right? I mean, it's like, it's not, it really is debilitating. You see why they use it as a torture technique, <laughs> because, you know, a few days without getting sleep, it really does affect you. And I think for employers to, and I, I mean, I think as more you know, mothers and fathers are integrating, you know, their parental responsibilities or realizing it's about for employers understanding that there's going to be a time where this employee is going to be a zombie until babies start sleeping through the night. Well, Lizzie, let me ask you, what was, is there a favorite book or article that you would recommend to folks or that was particularly impactful for you as a working parent? You know, there is, I don't off the top of my head know, but I might be able to dig it up. I think it was in there's a wonderful article about parents in academia, and I would have to, it just crossed my mind, written by, a, written by an academic mom that I remember really loving when I read. And, and beyond that, I would just say I have my go-to books on sleep and parenting, but I just think I, there was nothing that I was aware of that was specifically around the transition back to work after a maternity leave that I've read. And so I'd be so interested to learn about other books and resources along those lines. But as far as just your general parenting books, I really do feel that it's best for people to just shop around and go with what resonates to you because there are so many valid philosophies. If you can find that article, yeah, if you want to email us the title, we can put it in the show notes. What Do you recall like what was what you found so helpful about it? Yeah, she was a professor of physics uh, or some hard science um, and talking about moving up the tenure track while also starting a family in the way that she sort of set some parameters for herself around how much she would say yes to in a year and how she um, negotiated time with her husband and with other family support so that she could protect some time for writing and just as a beautiful kind of personal philosophy about the balance between work and life and family that I just, it was well-written and laid out a lot of the issues that have, I, I read it before having kids so that, that I, and I just harken back to it often. So I will try and dig it up and send it along for everyone. Great. And then is there a piece of technology, low tech or otherwise, that you find particularly helpful in being a working parent? For me, it was, you know, finding the right breast pump. (laughs) (laughs) And and being, I figured out how to pump in the car and that was a game changer for me. Like hands-free pumping was the best technology I've come across. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I can imagine. Thank you, Lizzie. And Amy, I will ask you the same series of questions. What is your number one piece of advice for navigating life as a, as a working parent? Yeah, I think it sort of piggybacks off of some of the things, specific things that Lizzie mentioned. I mean, I would say like in general, a self-protective orientation is what I would say. And I try not to give advice as a therapist, but if a woman, an expecting mother asks me because she knows I'm a mother of kids, so for advice, this self-protective orientation. And I think when it comes to that work-life balance, and I think being a therapist in particular, or a healthcare provider in general, that both work and motherhood involve caretaking. And the burden of combined caretaking, that combined caretaking load of caring for your clients or your patients and caring for your children, the burden of that can at times be quite heavy. 
And so that like orientation where you kind of move through your workspace and your home life, feeling self-protective and then thinking about things that you need to sort of function at your best and taking that notion seriously that to be able to perform at your best at work and as a parent, you need to be a well-oiled machine. And so what does that mean? And that's actually some of the work that I do with a lot of mothers that I work with. And that's really an orientation I take seriously for myself too. And that may mean then that I carve out, for example, time to exercise, even if I only have a couple of hours at the end of the day with my kids and myself, I may still try to carve out some time to take a walk, for example, again, with the idea that, you know, feeding the self or protecting the self is something that is going to give back to them ultimately. So I would say that that would be my kind of number one piece of advice. And then I guess the other thing that I would piggyback in there is for every time you say yes, say no five times. That like setting limits and not overextending yourself, particularly when you're a new parent, that just, you know, say yes to help. But when people are asking things of you, when people are wanting you to involve yourself in more things that would involve more responsibility, more obligations, say no, say you need to think about it, give yourself space to decline so that again, you can protect yourself. Yeah, I think that's great advice. It reminds me of, you know, there's a program called Strategic Coach that's for Strategic Coach that is for entrepreneurs. But one of the first things they recommend is a timekeeping system, which is elegantly simple, but which is the idea that you just raised, Amy, that as an entrepreneur, uh, or business owner, which is certainly applies to somebody who's running a family as well, mm-hmm. that you need to schedule free time. Mm-hmm. You know, he recommends like, you know, blocking it off on your calendar and not as a guilty pleasure, but as a requirement to be, you know, functioning, as you say, as a well-oiled machine. And you can't do that if you don't have some time for yourself. So I think that's pretty profound. How about a book or an article that you found particularly helpful as you were, you know, becoming a working parent? Oh my gosh, I could probably give you 20. So I'll try to pick in part because again, these are, this is the, these are books that I'm in for the work I do as much as it is. The books I have at home on my, on my nightside table are the books that I have in my office that I'm sharing with patients, et cetera. I would say there's a book called Laughter and Tears, The Emotional Life of New, New Mothers. And what I love about that book is it basically begins to really normalize and introduce the experience of the transition to motherhood as being one where there are gains and losses and to begin to sort of normalize the fact that there, some of the transition involves things, sacrifices and losses that may take months and even years to be able to feel like either get back or you kind of, you know, move through. I love that book. Uh, There's a wonderful book called, I think it's called When the Therapist is Expecting. And that for me was particularly profound because I work with expecting mothers and I had three of my own children while I was doing that work. So that book was especially helpful in helping me navigate the dynamics of being an expectant therapist while working with women who may be trying to have their own babies perhaps having had a a loss of a child or a pregnancy. I like that book a lot. I love the Emily Oster series. That's a new Emily Oster book. She has two books called Crib Sheet and Expecting Better. It's this sort of practical, more relaxed approach, which I think working mothers and all mothers need to be easier on themselves. And I love her orientation. She's an economist that came at, you know, what is the data and how good is the data in terms of, you know, some of these standards that expectant and new mothers can hold themselves against. And it turns out that the data is not that great. And so she has this kind of sensible, more relaxed approach. I love that 
those. And then the last book I'll land on, and again, Lori, I promise it's not to plug you, but it's just because I've referred your book so many times, and I don't think there are many like it. And that's the Back to Work After Baby, which there's just not many books that are written for the working mother that can help them not reinvent the wheel. And I think this book is, it's one that I put out there for every single mother I work with that is making a transition back to her professional life after baby. Very grateful. Thank you, Amy. (laughs) Yes, and we'll put all of the show notes for those of you that may want to follow up on that. And then the final question for you, Amy, is there a piece of technology that you find particularly central to your life as a working parent? Carpool Kids. It's an app. And I love it. And this might be something for you later, Lizzie, when your kids are older and in school and doing sports and that kind of thing. I love apps that make it easier for parents to rely on each other and rely on their community to be able to get it done. And so Carpool Kids, I don't know if if, uh, Tom... Lori, you're aware of it. It's a No, tell us more. Oh my God. What does it do? It's an amazing app that basically allows parents to coordinate carpools to get their kids to sports or Girl Scouts Mm. or CCD or whatever it is. So you don't have uh, to do it by email chains back and forth. No, you don't have to do these text chains. It is fantastic. And so I love that. So definitely check that out. It's super easy. And I'm actually not that as evidenced by some of my comments on the show, I'm not that technologically savvy. I was born in the early 70s. And so I can do this. I can even use this app and rely on it. And then the other thing that has really been awesome for our family is a shared calendar with my spouse. And so my work stuff, his work stuff, um, all of our kids' activities go on this Google calendar that looks like this rainbow color-coded crazy thing. And a lot of times, the colors don't mean anything other than just how it went in there. We're not that organized. But the point being is that he knows what's happening every single day. I know what's happening every single day so that we're able to cover for each other at times when the unexpected comes up for him or for me or for the kids. And that we have this seamless way to be able to kind of pass the baton as we need it to rely on each other. And so without Google Calendar, I mean, we would be lost. Even within the household, different styles of calendaring, how to surmount that. Maybe one time, uh, Lori, we could do a whole program on Just calendars. on calendars, yes. Yeah, just on calendars. Lizzie and Amy, this is the last time I'll be speaking on the show. So thank you very much for all your great insight. And I will turn it over okay. to Can I jump in to say I found the title of this article, which is wonderful. Go for it, Lizzie. It's in Scientific American, and it's the awesomest seven-year postdoc, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Tenure Track Faculty Life by um, a professor named Radhika Najpal. came out in 2013, and it's just she just outlines her own personal mindset to faculty life after having kids. Wonderful. Thank you, Lizzie. We will be sure to include that in the show notes afterwards. So I just want to second Tom's um, words of gratitude to you, Lizzie and Amy, for being with us and for such a rich and super helpful conversation today. So thank you for that. Everyone who is listening, please stay tuned for our next episode for focusing on working parenthood in yet another industry. If you liked our podcast, please take a minute today to share it with one friend. We'd also be incredibly grateful if you left us a short review. Thanks so much and be well until next time. 